If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is Long Release Lou. Actually, I do enjoy Long Release. I'm not going to lie. Long, slow release. That's a compressor joke because today we're talking about compressors. Wait, that wasn't an in your end, though? <laughs> it could be not. an innuendo i hope not <laughs> uh, uh but um today we're talking about compressors five different types of compressors um, a couple things before we get started right now we are live streaming we haven't done this in a while um we've been not live streaming for like the last six weeks so we're back on twitch and youtube we're live streaming right now so if you haven't checked out our youtube channel go ahead and subscribe to dk mixes or to uh or subscribe on follow on twitch Again, at DK Mixes, where we do all of our official uh, Mixing Music Podcast stuff. Lou also has a YouTube channel, so you can follow him at Master by Lou on YouTube as well. But uh, today, we are going to talk about five different types of compressors and when we use them. So this is this all of this information. I don't know why we haven't done this episode significantly sooner, but... At the in the description of every single podcast episode, or in the YouTube um, description, the video description, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a link for additional free content, downloadable yep. free content, and I have three to five different in-depth PDFs where mm-hmm. I've taken the time to research and type out um, various different things, and it's for free download. And the point of that is because I want your email addresses in case I, I do like an email marketing thing i rarely ever do that unfortunately i should do that yeah. more often maybe that's a goal of mine for 2023 i'm, I'm still not using mine very effectively it, at all yeah but anyway <laughs> but uh, i have these these pdfs that are floating out there and one of them is actually um the title of the pdf is called five types of compressors five types of compressors and when to use them and this pdf is totally available for free at store.dkmixes.com again or you could just go to the description of the podcast or the YouTube video and you can click on free links or if you go to Mixing Music Podcast and go to the free stuff, mixingmusicpodcast.com and click on the link that says free stuff. Either way, there's a bunch of different ways to get there. But um, yeah, so this is five types of compressors and when to use them. Um, so we're going to go over, uh, basically just kind of read this PDF. And again, you could download this PDF for free, um, but we're going to start off with this one. I'm just going to kind of read from it a little bit. Sure. The number one is multiband compression or limiting. This is the one compression type that doesn't fit the same categories as the others, but I feel like it deserves a place on this list. Multiband compression allows one to affect the dynamic range of multiple frequency ranges independently of each other, meaning that I can compress just the top end, just the low end, just the mid range. I can even like split any frequencies totally independently however i want it's you're not compressing the entire track you're you're potentially compressing select frequencies and there's a use for that um the idea of the multiband compressor is to be as transparent as possible while taming only the frequencies that need to be tamed even a deesser is technically a multiband compressor because you're just compressing the higher end the high s's right the 
Syllables. Syllables. Oh, no, syllabins. Sibilance. No, Sibilance. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Two pros struggling to remember sibilance. All right. Hey, we hear it. We don't speak it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this. And when do you like to use, do you use multiband compressors a lot? Uh, all the time. You do? Yeah. Because at this current moment, and it has been for like the last year, I rarely ever do. Yeah, it's kind of funny because there's a whole, like, if you want to go community-wise, there's a love and hate relationship, right? Um, there's a lot of people who say, like, oh, you know, it alters the phase of certain information depending on how you use it and blah, blah, blah. So, like, if you're running, let's say, like, multiband compression on a source on a drum set, right? Then, yeah, you might be shifting the phase. And then there's linear phase mode and dynamic phase mode if you're using something like Pro MB from uh, FabFilter. Uh, Fab but to be honest, every time you look at people like Manny Maricun and Tony Maserati, they have their multiband compressors in use too. So if it's based off of other people's opinion, it's maybe not the strongest uh, standpoint to use because there's obviously very successful people using it. Um, but in my experience, I've used it to kind of tame frequencies. You know me, I like uh, a vocal with a lot of chest to it, so... I know a lot of modern production is like rolling off a lot of the low mids and low end and all that. But um, for me, I like something with a lot of chest and I, you know, I love using voice of God. So sometimes I use it more to kind of tame a range and keep it in check so that it totally sounds the same, but it just doesn't get that buildup. So I use it more for like correction than I do for any kind of like edited function. Okay. So this is actually making me realize that I actually do use a lot of, multiband compression but in a different way maybe like unintentionally i know I, I do it through the eq because yeah. i use yeah. like dynamic eq a yeah. ton yeah. which is basically just multi-band compression the with band's less control over the band itself yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah um although on the new kirchhoff eq which comes free now with plug-in <laughs> alliance i still haven't used it <laughs> Um, it's a lot more flexible than the fab okay. filter one i kind of like how automatic and easy the fab filter one is in mm -hmm. fact I still use it from time to time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, it's it's the but the multiband compressor or dynamic EQ is basically the same thing. It's just like the way that it's perceived, the workflow, the 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 filters mm -hmm. of how you select frequencies is slightly different. But anyway, um, yeah. So in that sense, I use it all the time, especially like in vocals with lots yeah. of low mids or whatever. And I want that low mid, but only on some sections. I'll like automate it with some dynamic EQ. Exactly. Like once you get to stacking vocals, you're like, ah, I can't have that much. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, I do use a lot of multiband compressor compression, just not on an official multiband compression plugin. I just use yeah. dynamic EQ, which is basically multiband. I feel like dynamic EQ has been around for a while, but I feel like more and more people have gravitated to that than multiband compression nowadays. But because of that, it's still that same notion that a lot of people have this love hate thing where they're like, well, why not just you know. Uh, shave off a little bit of that frequency, this and that, and just use a compressor to tame things. It's like, well, you're doing the same thing anyways. Like, you know, why why split hairs? Like, yeah, we're getting the job done. So, some of our favorite compressors that do multiband, obviously, Fab Filter Pro Q3 is an EQ that does dynamic EQ. Um, the Kirchhoff EQ is an EQ that does dynamic EQ. But other than that, the the Fab Filter multiband is great and really useful. Anything from Isotope, both Neutron and Ozone has like yep. the dynamic modules, which are really great. Um, and if you're Waves, Waves C6, C4, um, uh, C6 nature. sidechain is actually super solid. Yeah, I I use C6. I used to use C6 a lot more often. Yeah, I think it sounds really great. Um, 
There's a couple of tricks to it. I don't know if you've ever done like the side chain where you use a, a parallel DS track in advance and then you make it output the S's only and then use that as the side chain input to the C6. No, I've never done that. It's it's the weirdest trick ever. It's a little bit time consuming at first when you first do it. But once you figure it out, you're like, ah, it's like having the C6 with a little bit of a look ahead. But you can really time the DSing with the C6 because of it. Talking about look ahead, Kirchhoff EQ yeah. has a built in look ahead. Yes. And because um, uh, Q3 I doesn't have M- it, right? I think FabFilter MB, the, uh, MB the does, does, but Q3 does not. I don't know if it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Because you can't con- control attack and release the Mm-mm. same way either. So, yeah, yeah I don't think it does. Uh, yeah, definitely Kirchhoff does. Okay, so get to it's know crazy. that. Uh, we can, if you don't know what look ahead is, just Google it. Um, basically, you're what telling, it's doing is yeah. you're telling the compressor to monitor the transient or whatever goes above the threshold how many milliseconds before... For example, like instead, if you want the the side chain to hit exactly on the attack of the kick, you can set the look ahead to be a few milliseconds back, so it actually hits exactly on the kick rather than a few milliseconds afterwards. Yep. Um, things like that. So just look it up. I think it'll be better explanation than I can do. Number two is FET compression, FET compression, FET or Field effect transistor compression mm-hmm. came about when audio units started to replace large tubes with smaller transistors. Usually, FET compressors, like the famous 1176, have stupid fast attack and release times. Yep. Yeah, stupid fast attack and release times. That is actually on the PDF. It does say stupid fast. Yeah, but it's also extremely accurate. There you go. <laughs> FET themselves give the affected signal a really punchy tone and sounds great across the board, whether it's used on drums, vocals, or guitars. Mm-hmm. The quick nature of FET compressors tend to make them a bit aggressive, so they must be used intentionally. This aggressive type of compressor is amazing, but is not the best on everything. FET compressors also tend to be rich with a lush distortion when driving the compressor. Sometimes I'll use this type of compressor for distortion alone, hardly compressing the signal at all. That's true. Yeah. I forgot about, like, I'm kind of like reminding myself when I was writing this stuff, like kind of what I was thinking. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Like sometimes I'll like do like all buttons in yeah. on, on the 1176 and like distort 808s with the transistors inside. Yep. That's always sounds good. Like distorting 808s with 1176. Like if you ever want a vocal with some attitude, because like I said, I like my vocals like in the low mid area, but low mids don't really project. So adding a little bit of distortion to them always helps. But directly on top, not so much. But if you side chain the vocal with like an 1176, all buttons in really destroyed and everything, just like you do the 808 on vocals, it could be a little bit much. But with just a little touch of it, you're like, oh, there's some attitude to it. Like, I like it. So the way that you want to do this is if you're trying to distort things with an 1176, the way you do it is is FET compressors tend to distort if the attack and release times are both really fast. Yeah. Um, it just can't handle it. It overloads it. So um, actually, if you do all buttons in on an 1176 or even not and just do super high gain, if you make the attack time really fast and, or the release time really, really fast and then also the attack time fast, as you slowly change the attack time to be as fast as possible, it'll start to distort. Yeah. Um, and that sounds super good. I, when I had two analog 1176, I would pass through um, the 808s to them quite often as like a parallel for like that distortion. It's a very different type of distortion. I actually tested this out on plugins. Mm-hmm. My fate, like uh, the CLA 76, which had the least amount of distortion. Mm-hmm. 
which is I don't know. That's I don't know if that's it feels good weird or bad. Saying that. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad necessarily. But there was the least amount of distortion on that one. The purple eleven seventy six is crazy, mm-hmm. um, and the eleven uh, the eleven seventy six on the UA version was also. I mean, it's probably the most accurate. I don't know. It's my guess, but um, yeah. you can get them to distort the same way through the plugin mm-hmm. by all buttons in attack and release time as fast as possible, and then just cranking the. The input and, and turning and, and changing it out with the output, yeah. it'll distort, and then you can release again, slow down the attack time to get less distortion. It's kind of weird for me. The reason I like the eleven seventy six the most is less about its distortion, more about how forward it makes everything sound. Because if you set the release really uh, fast and the attack really slow, and then you start kind of pushing into it, and then just time the attack a little bit, you'll notice that it's like everything sounds in your face and the compression more pulls everything that's behind the vocal down. So you get this more isolated vocal and it's just this weirdly satisfying in your face for like hip hop kind of stuff. Sometimes it's a little too in your face though. Like 1176 is just uniquely have an aggressive sound, whether you're going soft into it or hard into it. Or it doesn't work at all for ballads. Like the reason why rap vocals work so well is because it's like very fast. But if if I do like a long note, whoa, and like just hold that a long note, it'll just over- It's too fast. It'll overclamp it and it'll just like squish it. But any type of compressor will do that on like a ballad type song. Um, Anyway, uh, 1176s or any or any sort of like FET compression. I think the LA3A is also FET. It's a, it's LA3A is faster than an LA2A, um, but that's actually more based on the optical, not on the tube versus FET. That's just like an optical cell thing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, um, let's get into uh, the reason why the specifically the 1176, which is the most one of the most famous FET compressors. Um, the fast FET compressors are uh really aggressive and can be I, in in the pdf i say that it can make things punchy which it can like you know some yeah. drums or whatnot but i don't think punchy is described in the same way that i'm thinking now as well like if you want more transient information 1176 may not it kind of depends may not be the well, best thing it can also very easily make things thinner as far as yeah. like transient information so like i know a lot of people don't like using them on kick drums um, I'm the opposite. I actually love using it on kick drums, but I like using them as a parallel because if you once again do the fast and fast thing, it just allows for so much woof to come after that transient. Like it clamps down the transient so quickly that all that woof, like that cannon like effect from the kick drum, I know is not necessarily modern, but sometimes bleeding it into under like the actual sample is kind of nice. It makes it feel like it has just a little more like growl to the actual kicks and stuff like that so it's it's true it doesn't necessarily add much more punch to something like a kick but if the release is fast enough you can get a lot of that resonance that's behind the transient a lot of the punch kind of like overshadows the resonance after but sometimes i like to bling bring that resonance back by over uh over compressing the transient with the 1176 there you go there you go so um Unlike, so we did an episode a few weeks ago about the Fairchild mm-hmm. 670 and about tube and very mute compression. Um, a big part of that episode was the all of the documentation that went into describing how it was built and how it works, went into how the release times made the compression sound invisible. Like you're not yeah. supposed to be able to hear the compressor. Yeah. And that's what the benefits of the Fairchild was where the 1176 specifically is like the opposite. It's like the release time and the attack times are so damn fast um, that 
it's got to be very intentional there. It's like yeah. you can make it very obvious, the compression very obvious, which is also a part of the reason why it can be so cool. Anyway, like you can't help but hear it. Yeah, so here's yeah. A, here's a, another part of the PDF that I said, how I use them. I typically use 1176 on vocals, just a touch on vocals. Also, this compression is a favorite of mine to use on guitars, especially like funk-style, chicken-picking-type guitar stuff for the slappiness, nice saturation distortion, which is a big part of it. And you can also find me using uh, times on live drums, although the FET coloration may be a bit too aggressive at times, so use wisely. Still my favorite term, chicken-picking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, any 1176 style plugin is my favorite. UAD Waves, they all I use all of them at any single time. UAD MC 77 is still my favorite. Oh, MC 77, yeah. yeah, the purple audio one that comes again with Plugin Alliance is amazing. Um, let's go straight into optical compression. Number three, optical compression. Optical compressors or opto compressors use a light source to control how much gain reduction is applied. The speed of light is extremely fast, but an opto compressor is usually quite slow and smooth. Depending on the level of the signal, an internal light bulb will start to glow lighter with the more signal it receives. Because of this, an opto compressor works off the average signal being received, which is different. So it's not based off yeah. like transit, it's average signal. Yep. I, I love optocompressors because they are smooth, because of their slower nature. They tend to be a lot more natural sounding than other compression types. Because they are slow, they are not very useful at taming sharp or fast transients. But then again, that may be the reason why I choose to use one. Uh, if you've ever seen peak and RMS as an option in your plugins for like threshold control of peak or RMS in your plugin, think of the optocompressor as that best reacts to an RMS root mean square signal. The RMS signal is basically the average of the signal coming through and not the peaks. So there's a difference between like true peak, mm -hmm. a peak or true peak kind of um, uh, detection from the threshold versus like RMS, which is like average levels. Um, so which is different, right? Optocompressors can add an element of saturation color as well. For example, the LA-2 is a very popular optocompressor that uses tubes. Tubes, just because it has tubes does not mean it's an optocompressor. If yeah. it has opt uh, optical cells, that's what makes it an optocompressor. For example, the LA-3A is a FET compressor, but it uses optical cells. So it's technically actually... Um, it's a FET compressor and an opto compressor, depending on what how you look at it. Um, I actually the LA two A style compression is like the the main two compressors that I have in my desk. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but anyway, uh, so just because it has tubes doesn't mean it's opto. I want to be very clear mm -hmm. about that. I made that mistake in the past. These tubes add a nice harmonic saturation depending on the plugin, uh, the model of the unit. Yes, each type of UAD LA-2A has different attack and release times, and each one adds a little bit of different harmonics. So uh, UAD, Universal mm -hmm. Audio, has um, like a dozen different types of LA-2As based on the iteration and the generation and uh, whatever. And they all sound different. I want to be very clear. So yeah. the biggest difference is not every opto cell is the same attack and release time. Even when I have two of the same um, LA-2A clones... Um, from the same company, both of the opto cells have different attack and release times. Like it, yeah. it's like special calibration techniques that need to be done. They have to be synced before you buy them separately. Like you can't just buy. Um, maybe LA two A's will be a little bit more calibrated, but you can't just buy yeah. two opto units and have them think be exactly in sync. It's it's something where literally in the manufacturing process they have to test it out before they install it and then they have to test it out after they install it because other components can also affect its timing. Uh, for instance, if you're ever wondering uh, what we mean by like their their release time and their attack time is very unique, think about a tube television. 
Like the way it looks on the TV when you turn it on and turn it off is exactly how it almost reacts on a compressor. You might see a very fast release at first. The needle pulls back. But if you notice, it never actually pulls all the way back to zero. It actually very slowly comes back to zero once it's slowing down. But it's just like a tube TV. You turn it off, you see the shut off, but then you see the bulb really cooling down over a second. And that's how opto compression works. It's actually a dual stage and a single stage. It has the fast release, then into the slow release. So there you go. So uh, and oftentimes these opto compressors, as far as I'm sure that there's examples that no, there's definitely compressors out there where you can actually change the attack mm-hmm. and release times a little bit. But yeah. um, at least the OG, like the LA two A uh, type, uh, it's not. It's a set attack and release. Maybe it's just that one compressor. I'm I'm yeah. I'm going crazy. Anyway, uh, what are some ways that you like to use opto compression? Um, a lot of times it's like vocal masters or like lead vocals, something that's a little more huggy for like R&B vocal or like pop ballad kind of stuff. Huggies, like something that hugs is, is like actually a great description. Huggies. Yeah. Because, uh, 1176 definitely does not hug no, any, it, anything. It doesn't. And it's part of that like dual stage thing that I was talking about. Like you get that heavy compression at first, if you go into it heavy, but you notice that it kind of holds it down for a second. You know, and that's what I kind of like about it. So if you use it on something like bass, like you get a little more sustain out of the bass because it's still holding that compression. You still have the makeup gain up a little bit. But when they really pluck it, it's slow enough to let that pluck really come through on like a low note that wouldn't come through on a FET compressor because it's so damn slow on the attack. But because it actually holds the compression a little bit longer too, because you use typically on optos, you can't change the attack and release outside of changing the gain reduction. The more you change the gain reduction, the more it changes the attack and release. But once you find the setting that you like, that's that's it. Like you move a little less, and you've changed the attack and release. You move a little up, same thing. You know, it's one of those like it's got to be the sweet spot. It's got to be the sweet spot. So for lead and bass, I like it a lot. I, I also agree where um, I'm using a lot of opto compression for even things like drums. It's really? cool too. Yeah, like for snare as well. It's I like it for like rooms. For anything, to be honest. It depo- totally depends. It it does react like a snare mic will react differently with an 1176 to like a LA2A, where mm. like I feel like the 1176 is more like consistent, where the LA2A is like more like not, how do you say like more less precise just kind of like okay. ha 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 yeah. like you know yeah more it just reacts yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and yeah. that kind of actually makes it sound really cool um as well so i you can use it on almost anything um and there's very few things that i don't actually like an opto type compression on i i'm actually now that i'm thinking about it i think in general i really like slow compressors mm-hmm um, except for very specific things, specifically like drums and rooms, things where I want to bring out the room noise. Um, but I can, depending on the vibe, I will often use, I, I will use opto compression on almost anything. Okay. Depending on the vibe. Like, I think there's very few things that opto compression just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Between the LA-2A and the LA-3A alone, like, there's very few things that that doesn't work. In fact, I use the LA-3A on bass, like, almost always. Just, mm. like, by natural instinct. You know what? I I totally believe that, but it, it's funny because the LA3A, correct me if I'm wrong, it operates like an opto, but without tubes. Yeah, so it's a FET-driven, FET-driven opto cell, optical okay. cell compressor, yeah. Yeah, so because of that, it's a lot faster, but it's it's got that like middle ground between that LA2A and the 1176 where 
it still has some character to it. Like I really liked LA three A for vocals, but LA two A is it's it's just funny. Like it's just like you said with the UA plugins. There's so many different options to choose from. They're all very different that it almost comes like it should be a challenge for people to just try this out. See if you can use the demos and just try to mix a song only using the different versions of LA two A's. Like read through them, know which one you're using for what reason, and see how you like the differences, and see if you found the ones that you like the most. I would even go as far as like if you can only have one one compressor type for mm. the entire thing. The only thing that opto compression doesn't work for is like bus stuff. Yeah. Like because it's slow, it kind of mushes everything together like yeah. in a and like I've never I don't think I rarely ever use opto compression or like that sort of average type compression on a mix bus or like an entire instrumental bus or a yeah. drum bus. Or, I use it for like backing. Yeah, there you go. Or like vocal bus I'll use it for, yeah. but like very rarely on like entire buses, especially where there's like lots of different elements. Like yeah. if it's all vocals, then there's not different elements, you know, so yeah. it, it works well. But if it's like a, an instrumental bus where there's guitar and drums and synth pads and everything, like I don't, I just don't think it does as well Yeah, for like it'll affect it too much. It's kind of, uh, it's, it's hard to control because there is less control on them. Um, number four is VCA compression. A voltage controlled voltage controlled amplifier tends to offer some of the most aggressive gain reduction. They also typically allow the most amount of control in both attack and release times. VCA compressors uh, use an attenuator to reduce the volume when it's fed a certain level of voltage. VCAs can be much more aggressive like the FET compressors, even though the attack times of VCAs tend to be much slower than the FET compressors. The SSL G-Bus compressor is one of the most famous versions of a VCA compressor. It is often used as inspiration or emulation of other VCA plugins, although the style is not the only one available. Uh, that's crazy. So VCA is typically very clean. Yeah. The least amount of uh, harmonic saturation distortion. Yeah. Uh, lots of uh, attack and release times. Yep. Um, and they're for some reason, they're usually stepped. Yeah. It's not like an infinitely variable attack and release time. I don't know if that's There's... because of like... The, the circuit limitations or if that's just like the yeah. culture i, I want to say it's partly the culture because i have seen variable ones but they don't tend to be like any kind of like they're not better or worse you know what i mean like i haven't seen one that's not step that was like oh my god that made the difference oh yeah that's true like that oh my made... gosh it's only set at 80 80 millisecond release time or 120 millisecond time milliseconds. And when I went to 100 milliseconds, that's what worked. I've never that's heard that worked. before. Yeah. I've never heard like, that. Usually when you hear people talk about like the SSL G bus, they're like, you mix into it. Yeah. Like, uh, that's why it's the bus compressor fixed on the console. Like it, it was, it was either on from the start or it was on after. And then if you turned it on after you found yourself adjusting your mix to the compressor. Yeah so, yeah, so VCA, I have a VCA compressor as well in the mm -hmm. desk right now, like yep. a SSL bus clone. Um, VCAs are really, really great. I think, in general, VCA compression is, for me personally, is doing a lot more bus work. Yeah. Because it's, it's slow enough where it doesn't super clamp down. Like, I don't think I would ever use an 1176 on any sort of bus work as well. No. I'd probably use an Opto before I use an 1176-type compression on any sort of bus. But my first reaction to, like, uh, top-down mixing or, like, bus mixing is VCA compression. A lot more control. It's still fast enough that the release times can get fast enough where 
Uh, it returns the signal quickly enough they don't notice. But you can also make it return the signal really slowly. Um, because of the influence of the SSL G-Bus there, a lot of these VCA compressors have an automatic release time, mm -hmm. which is actually use, really useful as well. Um, and they're the cleanest, in my opinion. So um, it's 30 milliseconds attack time is like a really great place to be. Between 30 and 10 milliseconds attack time is a really great place to be for buses. Yeah. You can even go faster. I usually like 30 because it just doesn't come clamp down so much on the low end but once you get to 10 you get into that tighter mixing where um you know i noticed the more i get sent mixes from people that like i've been kind of watching their progress the more i notice that they're trying to go for that whole flat line across the board you know not not trying to have two more decibels in the low end when you look at a spectrum analyzer and that works but then like when you do in like the 30 second millisecond uh sorry the 30 millisecond uh attack time you just get that extra love in the low end like everybody wants a little more low end out of their mix right um at 10 sometimes it feels like it could be a little bit tight on it but it does get you to that point where you could technically shoot for a louder mix at that point if you're mixing into a 10 um but if you're mixing into a 30 you can have something more like almost like an edm style track where you got that pump and low end where it's allowing it to breathe a little more before compression. Yeah. No. Um, my favorite rec were our recommended plugins for any sort of VCA type compression is obviously any sort of SSL emulation or mm -hmm. to be honest. Okay. My favorite SSL emulation is actually, it's not really SSL emulation. It's its own thing, but uses a lot of the same, ID ideologies as the SSL one is a Vertigo VSC2. Yeah. It's yeah. in Plugin Alliance. It's amazing. Uh, also, UAD has it as well, but yeah. it's cheaper in Plugin Alliance. Um, and, and a lot more uh, cost effective because you don't need a satellite or an Apollo to run it. There you go. Um, I really like that one, but there's a lot out there, including the free one from Acoustica Audio, which is a great company. The Actually, TAN, that one is good. That the one TAN is good. Is cool. yeah. uh, Lou and I, we like the API 2500, which is a VCA type compressor. Neve 33609. It's yep. a really awesome one, actually. That's one of my favorites for like super character. That 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 one specifically has a lot of character. Um, and even the Shadow Hills Mastering Compressors, for, again, available on UAD or Plugin Alliance, um, has the discrete section, and that's what the VCA is. Yeah. The cool thing about the API one uh, is the fact that you can switch between feed forward and feedback design, which basically allows you to shape how the compression is actually working depending on the parameters um, upon entering the signal versus in reaction to the signal. So, for instance, uh, that just means with feed forward, you, the settings that you have will come at a slightly delayed pace. You actually get a slower signal, but it's not slow enough for you to really, really notice like that, but it will potentially cause some, like, I guess you could say some phase correlation issues if you're using it as, like, a parallel in the analog world, right? Because you're now shifting it slightly behind in time because you're trying to feed the signal that it's responding to back, so it has to delay the signal first to get it to react. But with feedback, whatever you feed through it, whatever comes after it will then be what's reacted to, you know? So... It's actual signal. Let's say you put a sidechain filter on feedback design. The initial entry audio will not react to that filtered out sound, but everything that comes after it will be reacting to what came before it. Feed forward, it's delaying the signal so that it can react in time to it. 
Um, also, so that difference is, it's again, you're, if in an analog unit and even the emulated plugins, that difference is so minimal. In fact, it's, yeah. it's basically non-existent because it's in an electrical plugins, signals. Yeah. It's an electrical signal, so it's not like audio, sp- sound has to go through space and time, but it, it does have to go through a separate circuit. Also, you'll notice, is it feedback where if you turn up the makeup gain, it actually compresses more? Or is yes. it feed forward that does uh, that? Feed forward is where if you turn up the makeup gain... That feed it compresses, forward. feed forward, because I, it's not. reacting to the signal retroactively. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of times people will put it in whichever, if it's feed forward, I'm not sure. But uh, which if it's feed, we're just going to assume it's feed forward, where if you turn up the makeup gain, it'll actually compress it more. So one way that you can do this with the API, for example, is you can, if you want to see if the compression sounds good, you could turn up the makeup gain, and it'll automatically start feeding the, the compressor more, and mm-hmm. it'll compress the signal more without changing the volume that much. Um, so you can hear, hear the compression a little bit better and see, you can actually compress it a little bit more without changing the threshold. So it's actually um, a really useful tool for that reason as well. So- that's why I like API. Uh, Paul Wolf, thank you for your designs. There you go. Number five, very mu compression. A variable mm. mu or compressor is one of the oldest types of compressor- compressors. Now, um, opto compressor, which oftentimes uses tubes, well, the LA2A specifically uses tubes, is about the opto cell. Yeah. But a very mu compression- compressor, like the Fairchild 670, mm-hmm. Is the tube. It's yeah. voltage feeding the tube. It's yep. not an opto cell. It's voltage feeding the tube. So this is actually a tube compressor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now they do have, now in modern times, there are variations of Varimu compressor that I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. But you typically it is actually gone um, through a tube. Uh, is one of the oldest types of compressors. A simple way of thinking about variable mu compressor is that the more the gain reduction, the higher the compressor ratios become. For example, if you compress only a dB or two, it might be only two to one ratio. But if you compress 10 dBs, minus 10 dBs, it might be doing like 30 to one ratio. So the ratio changes based on how much you're compressing it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, this type of compression relies on the tubes themselves to control the gain reduction. Therefore, the process tends to be way smooth because of the less aggressive characterizing of the very compressor it is suited to situations where you need to smooth out an entire track rather than transients similar to an opto compressor but much smoother these types of compressors can add a bit of harmonic saturation or color to your mix usually they offer a warmer sound and i did uh, finger quotes and sound and often engineers use them as color boxes with little to no compression actually happening the slower attack times on a very mu compressor can really help glue your track together which can create a much more balanced and smooth mix compared to a vca compressor they won't be very good at catching transients in a mix with heavy snare kick percussion etc so um how i use them i typically use very mu compressors on the master bus of classical music or film music i don't typically use them on a lot of hip-hop or pop tracks because a lot of the four on the floor like lots of transient induced type stuff you can use them um but uh just for the sake of general commenting i'm saying that you don't um as they are not fast enough but i wouldn't say that i never use them on those types of tracks also sometimes i use them like an opto on various non-percussive instruments like synths some guitars some keys or vocals in fact i'll actually use very mute compressors just like opto on almost anything yeah there again it's just so smooth very few things that it doesn't work you on. already know it's my favorite type of compressor especially when it came down to that uh Oh my god! Why am I uh, blanking on it? The retro instruments, um, my five hundred series unit that I had for so long. 
The uh, oh, the tube core. No, no. The oh retro God. instruments five hundred. It, it was the very Mew uh, five hundred series. It was a dual five hundred series slot uh, compressor. And to be honest, my favorite thing about very Muse is that uh, you can actually compress into the. Uh, you can compress the signal of like a vocal to a certain point. The uh, double wide. The double wide. That's what it is. Like you can get vocals into it and really push into it without too much like audible compression artifacts. But the tone you get from it is something special. It's deep. It's round. It's the best way I can describe the compression is you are going into the tubes, which tubes naturally impart a, uh, a level of compression because it's saturating the signal. Now, it does some type of like analog clipping as according to other people who probably know better than I do. Um, but overall, when you can describe it tonally, it's almost like once you push too far into it, you kind of know it, but it takes a while to get there. You know, you really have to yell into it to get it to pump that hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it You can get really aggressive with both opto and any type of slow compression. You can yeah. just... Usually, uh, very mu will often be a lot less clean as far as like yeah. harmonic saturation, but as it's far as like style. as far as like amplitude control, meaning yeah. like volume control, you can typically push opto and very mu or like slower type compressors in general a lot more gain reduction and have the dynamic part of it, the amplitude control part of it, feel a lot smoother. Yeah, I remember I squared off a vocal once and I couldn't hear the squaring of it. Yeah, and by squaring, I mean like I basically limited the vocal on the way in and at first i was scared like seeing that waveform in the middle of the tracking session i was like oh my god she yelled into the vocal like i'm gonna have to ask her to do, do another take but this take was so good like do i the the dilemma of like the take was so good but the audio wasn't do you make them do it again and potentially not get a better take or do you just use the better take with lesser audio but when I played it back, when they wanted to hear it, I was kind of scared and nervous about it. It was still very, very musical. It was at no point did they even notice the compressor squared her off. And there was, it was just this moment of satisfaction of just like, holy shit, I love this thing. Yeah. Holy shit. There you go. So yeah. is, is the CL1B, is that opto or is it's that? It's opto. Okay, it's opto. Yeah. Okay, so it has twos, but it's opto. All right. Um, anyway, that's kind of our list. Before we get into the final thoughts, there's actually a last page of the PDF that I want to read out. Um, I want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Mixing Music Podcast. If you haven't noticed, um, since a couple weeks ago, we've already started releasing a new segment of the Mixed Music mm -hmm. Podcast called Home Studio Heroes, where our interns, Machi and Nautic, are hosting that. It's it's basically the Mixed Music Podcast, but um, for beginners at, at, a, at a for like younger, so yeah, home studio pace, beginner pace. Um, honestly, it's I believe it's a great addition to the main flagship content that Lou and I make. Um, so you can go check that out. It's, it's part of the new podcast. That's going to be coming out every Monday from now on. Nautic and Machi do a great job. So that's going to be free from now on for all of you. I think, uh, Brayden and I were talking about how we're going to be releasing an archived older version, older, um, exclusive episode once a week now, every Thursday for free. Um, but if you want to check out and stay up to date with every single new exclusive episode of the Mixing Music Podcast, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. We have a bunch of subscribers there. Braden releases new content every single Wednesday and Thursday. 90% of the time, I'm there with him. 
And what we do is we break down interviews with famous Grammy-winning engineers or influencers within the audio mixing world, uh, mastering engineers, producers, songwriters as well. And we break down what they did and explain to you uh, in ways that you can actually take home and try yourself. Highly recommend it. People that usually sign on stay signed on for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really, really awesome thing. So the exclusive episodes are $4 a month or $40 a year. Mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. And there's going to be one archived episode coming out from now on every Thursday morning um, for free for y'all just to convince y'all to get on the exclusive train. It's really, really great. So uh, that's it. We have a bunch of other sponsors that are coming up for 2023, but we will keep those secrets on the hush hush for now as we need to finalize those. Um, The last thought, the final thoughts for this episode, I want to say on this PDF, it says this. I think most new engineers and producers will not be able to hear compressors very much at first, but that's okay. Just remember that you should never compress anything just because someone told you to. They are tools that change the sound in a way that is not always, quote-unquote, better. Remember to always compare the sound with and without compression and determine what sounds best on your own. Compression is definitely fun to play with, but is often overused. So uh, that's it. Really, remember to you always trust your ears. Don't be afraid to try something that is not traditionally accepted. <laughs> and mm. you may find a new technique that is more interesting or fits your song better. So that's kind of it. Are, there's, are there ways that you've used compression in an untraditional way? Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. I know I did the other day. Oh, um. I don't know if this kind of counts, but it kind of does for me because it's something where I've seen people kind of move against it, but Grammy winning engineer didn't say a single thing negative about the master. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that it succeeded. Um, There's a lot of people who do like parallel masters where they'll actually do like an overcompressed version of the master track, and then they'll blend that into the master track. Um, I decided to do a filter with pro q3 before it and then use the compression in a very extreme mode but to a point where it was pumping like i actually made the song like distort and pump to where like the four on the floor were really poking through the track and making sure that instead of making everything squashed in the parallel i actually made everything like exaggeratedly dynamic based around the four to the floor and used that to push more transient into the master and it was accepted on v1 which oh, is nice. typically not what anybody wants, but it gave me the result I was looking for on something where the engineer typically would limit the song and then send it to me. But it was limited in a way where I was like, it, it's loud, but it's not very dynamic. And I wanted to give it a little more dynamics without having to try to compete loudness wise. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's great, and um, I've, in my case as well, I've like I will abuse the shit out of compressors sometimes. Yeah, like I'll just like I'll do like fun. minus fifteen gain reduction just to like yeah. hear it and make it really obviously compressed because like the yeah. cool tones you can get out yeah. of it. Oh man, those those that's always fun to do. I love experimenting with that sort of stuff. Anyway, yeah, um, just do everything on purpose. Uh, be careful with compression. Compressions are ac- extremely an extremely practical tool. Um, mm-hmm to get mixes and masters louder. Um, More so mixing, I will say, to get mixes louder. Um, And if you use compression very skillfully throughout the mix, you will be able to make the master louder. 
Oh yeah. With while using less compression. So um, just use it skillfully. Um, use it uh, with love and you know just just listen. Honestly, it's pretty obvious when something yeah. sounds bad. Um, and if you don't feel that way, then just keep practicing. Honestly, it's just it's just yeah. remember that compression is an amplitude thing. It's not like a tonal balance thing. So if you're listening for more or less low end, you're listening to compression wrong. It's yeah. it's the volume changes. So that's basically it. And we've talked like, about how to hear compression on different episodes. Part of where this actually starts to go wrong, especially for like a lot of people who are trying to get into compression, they're like, oh, I want to get make it like more audible, right? Like a vocal more audible in the track. Like it feels like it's just two in the track. They start to over compress and you forget that like things like S's can come out, breaths can come out. You actually change the performance overall. You somebody who wasn't very uh breathy in the past can now become very breathy in the track because of over compression. And so things you want to make sure that you're kind of keeping in mind is compression isn't necessarily all about, you know, trying to like control the dynamics but sometimes it's about limiting the dynamic range because you want something that's under to come up not necessarily that you want to bring the peaks down but you're trying to bring something that's below and if that's the case parallel compression can be your friend you know if you're trying to bring subtleties up parallel compression or automation can be your friend more than just general compression so aside from learning how compression sounds learn how the different ways that a compressor can be utilized outside of just basic compression can benefit your mix Perfect. Yeah. I think that's a great way to sum it up. Uh, I want to do a quick shout out for people on the Twitch stream right now. Linhar97 asks, if I want to train my ears for compression, is there a way to do that? Um, and then this is actually a response that I agree with. Um, Big Vit on Twitch said, to train I used to, I use, I push the compressor um, really hard and squash it and then bring back the threshold to hear the difference. So like if you hyper compress something, mm -hmm. then you can hear the compressor more. So feel free when you're learning to use a compressor to compress a lot and get a lot of gain reduction and then mess with the attack and release times. And you should be able to, the more it's compressed, the more exaggerated it is, the more likely that you can pick up the minor differences. And then um, in the beginning stages, if you can't really hear compression, I would try to figure out if you like that compression style, if it's working by compressing a lot and then backing it off until you can't hear it anymore and then that's the level that you set it up so there was a weird test in the past that honestly i don't fully agree with just based on like how it works but this is something worth trying out um you take a vocal that you really like compress it leave the original vocal as a duplicate then flip the phase and see what the difference was and that way you can actually hear it separate what the actual like tonal difference was, like where it's harmonically distorting the most. But Hofa makes a plugin called, uh, I think it's like the the ear quiz or ear test. I forget what it's called, but it's a, it's a free software from Hofa that actually makes you choose what you believe the compression type was. Was it a VCA? Was it FET? Was it... Um, you know, was it a, a very mu? Like basically it's ear training based on what your assumption to a source audio is. You oh, know? that's cool. Yeah. Like ear training back when I was in college was sitting in my lab and then you would actually be tested on frequency ranges. They would ask you like, okay, here's a song. We did a one decibel boost at a certain frequency and then give you five different frequencies to choose from. And you'd have to say which one actually got it. And then the next level of test was we either boosted or cut a certain frequency. You have to tell us which one we did, which is cool because 
let's say that you took out a little bit of low mids, they might think that there was an upper mid push, you know, but like ear training, uh, frequency wise and listening for dynamic differences on a static level would probably be where I start first versus on a dynamic level. Cause dynamic levels are a little bit harder to test on, but Hofa once again, makes a free plugin. If you download their the plugin manager, yeah, the blind, blind test. test. So you just use two different plugins and then you can blind no. test between the two. It'll, it'll actually do the whole thing internally. Oh really? I didn't know. Yeah. That. That's cool. It's really good ear training. Cool. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I think that's kind of it. There's a lot more that we can get into, but honestly, that's that's the most important stuff. And we want to be able to break up this content into other episodes, so we'll probably come back to this episode more in future episodes. But if you like this podcast, if you like to support what we're doing, please um, like uh, leave a five-star review on Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Even leave just a couple nice words. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time someone leaves like a review with some typing with some words in, it boosts our um, our podcast in the algorithm for these platforms, which is doing great. Yep. Um, and we really, really appreciate the free way that you can help support the channel. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe. If you're listening on Twitch, please follow, subscribe, etc. Uh, and follow us on social media if you'd like to and ask us questions there. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.